0: Hey creator, I'm Ian Corzine, your social media lawyer. And before we get started with today's podcast on cybersecurity for social media creators with Eric Cole of Secure Anchor Consulting, I wanted to let you know about my website, iancorzine.com. There you can set up an online consult with me or one of your social media lawyer team members for an in-depth analysis of your copyright, trademark and business questions on your social media accounts. Also, don't forget to go to iancorzine.com for legal templates. These are templates that you could use for your YouTube channel your Facebook account your Instagram account You could do collaboration agreements brand deals Everything there is at iancorzine.com and make sure you stick around to the end of our podcast today When i'm going to give you our 20 percent off code. All right for all that. It's iancorzine.com All right, let's get today's show
1: Angeles.
0: It's your social media lawyer, Ian Corzine. Welcome to the Social Media Law Podcast. I'm Ian Corzine, your social media lawyer. I'm on a crusade to help social media creators understand the law and protect their artistic freedom online. Today, I'm really excited because I'm going to be joined by Dr. Eric Cole of Secure Anchor Consulting. He is a cybersecurity expert. We're going to talk about cybersecurity one-on-one for social media creators and for beginners. By the way, if any time you want to reach me during the podcast, feel free to email me at podcast at iancorzine.com. That's podcast at iancorzine.com or hit me up on Twitter at iancorzine. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Dr. Eric Cole of Secure Anchor Consulting. Dr. Cole, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. And thank you so much for having me.
0: No, I'm I'm really, really excited to have you on. It's been a while. We've had to reschedule this a couple times, and this is one of the ones I've been really looking forward to. So I'm really, really appreciative of your time.
1: Oh, my pleasure. And I think it's a great audience because I'm on a mission to make cyberspace safe. And like you said, social media creators are one of the people that are targeted by the adversary.
0: Okay, well, we're going to get into it. Hey, we always like to start uh, the podcast with a story that you may have of helping maybe one of your clients or another social media person online, an entrepreneur. Do you have any stories out there of how you helped uh, maybe another entrepreneur or a social media creator with a cybersecurity problem?
1: Uh, Absolutely, it's sort of like I could pull out a deck of cards and say pick one. (laughs) There's there's so so many that are out there, but but probably uh, the one that's the most applicable here is, I got a call a couple of weeks ago from a friend of mine that got locked out of all their social media accounts Mm -hmm. because somebody not only went in and was able to guess their password, but then they went in and was able to change the contact email and hijack the entire account on their system. Now, fortunately, in this case, we were able to recover it because what a lot of people don't realize, whether it's bank accounts, fraudulent transfers, or hijacking of social media, you have about a 24-hour window Mm -hmm. where you can actually reverse it get the information back or recover it. So we were able to go in like right at the 22 hours. I felt almost like the Tom Cruise mission to yes. see the clock going like it will end. And I knew that so we were able to get at that final moment. But, oh, but the big thing there that a lot of people don't realize and my friend, she didn't realize it, is there is a lot of security mm-hmm. built into the social media platforms. Mm. And if you don't use it, it could be used against you. Because what happened in her case is she didn't have any of that security turned on Mm -hmm. and just the basic password, the basic accounts, she was focused on being a thought leader and made it easy for somebody to trick her, Mm -hmm. uh, get her account, break in, and then once... They got into her account and not only changed the password, they then turned on all the security to make it that much harder for her to get in. So it's one of those, even if you don't care about security, which you should, you need to recognize that it's there, but it's not turned on by default. And if you don't use it and somebody takes over your account, they can use it against you to lock you out. And this story had a happy ending. Yes. But I could give you probably 10 others where I got called by friends that didn't where we actually weren't able to recover, and they had to start over from scratch. And imagine all your followers, all your content, Mm. and you gotta create a brand new screen name, or in a lot of these cases, they're ransom based. Mm. So depending on how big or popular you are, they could charge you anywhere from five to $30,000 to get your account back.
0: Boy, I bet you have so many stories on that. I think, were you referring to the two-factor authoriza- or security feature, two author- two-factor authorization kind of feature?
1: Uh, yes, so mm-hmm. uh, one is two-factor authentication, mm-hmm. where you go in, you enter your initial password, and then every time you log in, it, it sends you or texts you that new code. Mm-hmm. The other one you definitely want to turn on is if somebody logs in from a new computer or a new device, you want to get notified with approval. So there's two options. There's a notification that allows it and there's a notification with approval. Mm -hmm. So now you'll actually get a text message asking you, is this actually allowed? And then the final one is you want to also tie to your phone number, not your email address, Mm -hmm. because email addresses are on the computer. So if somebody puts malware on it, they have everything.
0: Mm. But if you do
1: social media on one and then your cell phone is tied to authenticate, then you have a separate level and make it that much harder for the adversary.
0: Wow. Wow, well, I wanna to talk to you about whether or not there's hackers out there that can get around two-factor authentication, but we'll save that for a moment. What okay. I really wanna talk about is your background now. Like, how did you get started in cybersecurity? Uh, what, was, what attracted you to that? Where, how did you get into the field?
1: So, I always, since I was a young age, I was fascinated with how things worked mm-hmm. and how things operated. My, my mom jokes, she's like, Yeah, even when I was 12 and 13, she couldn't leave me alone in a room because I would just take stuff apart. I would take lamps <laughs> apart or telephones or because I just was always fascinated. My problem is, I was really good at the taking apart, not always as good at putting it back together again. <laughs> so, so that, that was sort of the problem. So, I was fascinated in architecture. But a family friend said, why don't you major in computer science? This was mid-80s because everything's going to computers. Yes. So I majored computer science. I wasn't really happy because it was pretty boring. So I said, let me do an intern. And to make a long story short, I just happened to go down to the intern office on a Wednesday. And they said, Eric, funny thing, tomorrow the CIA is recruiting on campus and there's an open spot. So one of my other things is always trust your instinct, right? There's yeah. a higher power out there. And I interview with them. They fly me down to DC and I go and I get to pick where I want to work. And there's networking and programming. And of course, there's this area called cybersecurity, yeah. which everyone told me, oh, no, cybersecurity is a fad. It's not going to grow. do networking, do programming. And I find, once again, don't listen to others, right? They, they want you to play it safe. I go there. And ended up being a professional hacker for the CIA for eight years where I was paid to sort of break into systems, find vulnerabilities, find exposure points. And then to partly answer your previous question, if it's a computer and it's connected to the Internet, it's hackable. The question is how much energy and effort is somebody willing to put against it? And the real question for you and your audience Mm -hmm. is, what measures do you have in place to detect it in a timely manner? You can't stop somebody from robbing your house. If somebody really wants to rob your house, they will, but you can catch them and contain the damage, and that's the same game you wanna play with cybersecurity.
0: Wow. You know, I was going through your credentials and your uh, CV and resume, and I saw that you worked for McAfee for a period of time too? Yes. Oh, man, that must've been amazing. The, The beginnings of McAfee, right?
1: Yeah, so, so I'm one of those where I'm sort of that rare breed of entrepreneur mm-hmm. and geek. So I <laughs> I've bought and sold multiple companies. And, and I, I always joke with people, I'm at the point now where I work because I love it and I'm driven. I don't have to. Oh,
0: and that's, and that's always
1: sort of a, a fun position to be in. But yeah. yeah, I started and sold companies. And then I was born into McAfee when they were struggling in the marketplace mm-hmm. to revamp their product line, and, and once again, we weren't necessarily intended to be sold, but we revamped and I worked some strategic deals with intellectual property. Mm-hmm. So, uh, entrepreneurs urge you to definitely talk with Ian because the the way you win this game is by protecting and controlling your IP because everybody wants to steal it. Mm-hmm. And we were able to work out a deal where we ended up selling to Mac, sorry, selling to Intel for four point two bills. So, intellectual property is the name of the game.
0: Wow. But yeah, I was
1: early days. I met. John McAfee, and I always joke, and he knows I say this. Yeah, All the stories that you've read about John, yeah. like being crazy and nuts and off the wall, yeah. are grossly, grossly underestimated. The <laughs> dude is nuts. I mean, he's brilliant, but he's, he's brilliant. totally nuts, man. Oh,
0: my God. I've seen some of the videos he makes, and they're out of this world. But you know what? His point is usually right on. Um, it, it depends on what your perspective, but that's unbelievable. You know, we're going to have you back on, Dr. Cole, for a discussion about how to be a great online entrepreneur. It sounds like you've done a really, really good job. Oh yeah, I can help you <laughs> with that too. Yeah, <laughs> jack of all trades. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's really interesting. It sounds, uh, you know, again, going through the, the resume, it's, it's so much experience, whether it be the CIA, whether it be your own companies, your own security, whether you consult with other companies. And that's what you've been doing for the past, what, 13 years or so. You've been consulting with larger companies on how,
1: basically, how to protect themselves
0: about, against hackers.
1: Exactly. So yeah. uh, I've been teaching. I do a lot of executive awareness. We do a lot of assessments. Uh, I also, and this might actually be another reason I want me to have on a different show, I actually yeah. do extra witness work. So I yeah, actually yes. testify at trials. I was just mm-hmm. two weeks ago, testified to one of the first virtual trials. But sort of the, the, the vein, if you look at the main artery mm-hmm. of my career, is really to make cyberspace safe by teaching and helping people understand complex topics and giving them simple, actionable things they can do to be safe and protected online.
0: Well, that's a great lead in to what we're going to talk about next, which is those simple principles. You mentioned to me before we got on the air that you had like three or four, maybe five principles of cybersecurity that you'd like to let us know about. And let's start off with, you know, their first, your first top tip.
1: Excellent. So the first one uh, we cover, but I I do want to mention it, which is authentication is key. Mm-hmm. I know passwords can be annoying and you have a lot of different accounts in a lot of different areas and it's easy to go in and make them all the same. And by the way, New York pound 10, New York pound 11, and New York pound 12, they're the same, <laughs> right? These attackers are smart. So you really want to go in and have unique passwords for each of your accounts and you want to have two authentication Mm -hmm. and then the other tip tied to that is you will not be able to prevent the adversary if somebody's targeting you and they want to break your password they can They have access to these supercomputers a password is a deterrent it's not going to stop anybody so what you need to do is go into all your accounts Mm -hmm. and turn on active monitoring which means if somebody comes in and tries to log in from a different country If they try to log in from a different device, if somebody has more than three failed attempts at the password, you want to get notified immediately so you can block, take action and minimize that exposure.
0: You know, taking you back to part of your answer on that about passwords as being a mere deterrent, you know, a lot of us, and again, it's probably laziness, we tend to have a lot of the same passwords because we have to remember them. Uh, sometimes it's on the fly. You know, a lot of us are, are doing a lot of mobile computing. Do you have any recommendations by how we hold our passwords so that they're, they're kind of convenient uh, and they're also all different and unique?
1: Uh, so best way to do that is password vaulting. Mm -hmm. So, so there are programs or applications that you can buy that can use biometrics or facial recognition to actually lock down and store your passwords. The other one I find that that works good is, which I know is hard, but I I do a lot on social media is limit your devices. So Mm -hmm. I, I have my studio here that I do a lot of my content. I have my phone and then I have one other device. So I actually, whenever I change the password, I enter it into each one of those And then I let those devices actually store them securely. And believe it or not, those devices are much more secure than this. So you can store them here in your brain (laughs) or you can store them on the device. So so load them into the device and then just make it a habit where once a quarter, you just have to go in with the three devices, sit down, update the password on each one of them, and just sort of build that habit of changing it. Mm -hmm. And the thing I always tell folks is I know it's an annoyance. But here's what you have to ask yourself. Option one, I spend five minutes a quarter, so four times a year, changing my passwords. That's mm-hmm. option one. Mm-hmm. Or option two, in six or nine months, when your account gets compromised and it's called hijacked, you could pay five or $10,000 to get it back. Mm-hmm. Which option do you want? Option and those are one. your only two
0: options. <laughs> option one, I get it, you've convinced me. I think I've been using uh, LastPass lately, that's been my, my choice, but I have not been doing an individual password per device. I've not been locking them down per device, that makes sense, definitely.
1: Yeah, because th- these attackers are smart and clever, and they're gonna do their homework, so they're gonna target Ian, go after you, and once they break your password, Mm-hmm. They're going to check all the devices and if it's the same, they're going to wait like till two or three in the morning because they're going to see your habits But when you're not typically active and they're going to go in and take over all of them. So it's one of those, you're not going to wake up in the morning and you just can't get into Facebook. Mm-hmm. You're going to be locked out of everything because mm-hmm. that, that's how they do it. They, they systematically target somebody and take over all your accounts if your password's the same.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to talk more about active monitoring, but first I want to talk about you know, what your thought process is for putting information online. You know, I have a lot of creators that come to me and they say, listen, I want to put my my photograph online on Instagram, let's say, and I want to protect it copyright wise, right? And a lot of times I, I, my response is, okay, here are the steps. However, you got to change your attitude. And that attitude is that when you put it online, you're really putting it on for other people to consume. Um, Do you have a similar attitude with respect to our private information, you know, I just got a, a new home, so I have some financial documents that I have that you know my my temptation is to put that on Google Drive. It's very convenient. I can access it from any computer in the world. However, is my expectation now should it be listen, someone could break in, someone could get that information. It is not totally secure.
1: Exactly. If you're putting something online, mm-hmm. you have to recognize there's degrees of risk. Okay. So so the formula I always use. Uh, for folks, because I like to make things fairly simple, is you can achieve 100% security. And if something is 100% secure, it's zero functionality. Mm -hmm. So I always joke, if you want to be 100% secure, go Amish. (laughs) You you give us everything. And from a cybersecurity perspective, hard copy, no computers, no nothing. So then what happens is you go in and every time you're adding functionality, you're decreasing the security. And I always get people that ask these Uh, questions of, is this secure? Is that secure as online taxes? Well, the way you do that is this. You ask yourself two questions. The first question is, what is the value and benefit that I get from doing this? So it's easier, it's simpler, it's accessible, it's available to me. I don't have to worry about hard copies or fires or safe deposit box. Mm -hmm. The second question you have to ask yourself, what is the risk or exposure Mm -hmm. What is the risk or exposure if that gets compromised, if that gets hacked? And then you then take those data points and say, is the benefit worth the risk and exposure? And if the benefit's worth the risk or exposure, then do it. Now, one of the things that I do with my personal records, Mm because I do store a lot of information and I'm an expert witness in cases, so I'm under protective orders, what we always do is we'll take that sensitive information, whether it's the deed to my house, my will, my birth certificate, and we encrypt it locally. And then I upload encrypted data to either Microsoft, to uh, Dropbox, to mm-hmm. Google, to any of those places. Mm-hmm. And now they're storing it. But even if they get compromised or broken into, they don't have the key to the safe. I they see. can't go in. So it's it's actually like setting up a virtual Uh, safe deposit box. It's that same concept where you're storing it at a third party, but you have the key not there.
0: Do you have any recommendations for applications that we can have on our local computers that will encrypt files for us?
1: Um, There are several out there. I like, uh, I mean, PGP is a free version, Mm -hmm. but it's a little harder to use. The best bet is whatever your endpoint protection is, uh, whether it's McAfee, Symantec, Sophos, if you get the premium version, which is usually a $15 upgrade. They have full encryption built in and they will integrate with either Dropbox or iDrive or any of those on your system. So literally you just right click, you say encrypt and upload and it does all the magic for you. That's probably the easiest to use an integrated solution than trying to manage it separately.
0: That is an absolutely great tip because I, you do encourage people to use those top Norton antivirus and, and McAfee, I'm sure, those programs on all the computers. And you say, listen, it's worth it to pay the extra 60 or 70 bucks per year for this type of uh, protection, correct?
1: Absolutely. The, the, the thing to always remember is I can give you the safest car on the planet, but if you don't have a safe driver, you're not going to be protected in it. I can take the safest car, but I can still drive at 100 miles an hour into a tree and injure myself. So the only reason I bring that up is there's some people that say, oh, I have endpoint security, Nort Symantec, Sophos, therefore I can drive drunk, I can be crazy. I can do it. <laughs> and it's like, no, 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 you still have to be careful because the adversary is still going to try to trick and manipulate you, but it makes it a lot harder for them to do that.
0: Okay. All right. Now let's get into active monitoring because I've seen this quite a bit with Google. You know, I'm on YouTube um, a lot. uh, And a lot of times when I'm moving from computer to computer, what I'm doing is I'm getting an email alert or sometimes just a direct alert on my phone saying, you know, this person or this IP address is trying to access your Google account. Um, Is that what active monitoring is? And describe for us what the, the platforms are doing when they're actively monitoring it.
1: So, what so active monitoring is exactly that. That's a great okay. example. Okay. Where well, what they're doing is they're looking for anomalies that are indicative of malicious activity. Mm-hmm. Now, the important thing to remember is on all of those uh, applications, so whether it's uh, Facebook or IG or Google, you have sensitivity levels. So you can go in and make it super high, which means any little thing. That happens, you're going to get more alerts, which seems more annoying, but you're going to stop almost all attacks. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you could lower it. So you only get things that are absolutely an attack, but you're going to miss a lot that's out there. And I always urge people to go back to my two options. So option one, (laughs) you can be annoyed with a couple of extra alerts Or option two is you can pay 10 million, sorry, 10,000 ransom. Which one do you want? So I don't go high on my accounts because I'll be honest with you. That's super annoying. Like you want to hurt people. Uh, But I would say uh, medium high, like 75%, -hmm. is really a good option because you'll get a little bit of annoyance. But you're going to get some good visibility if anyone's trying to do anything or cause any problems.
0: And when you say 75%, you're just referring to there's an ability on these platforms to be able to control the security level, so to speak, uh, of your access to the platform, is that right?
1: Exactly, it's just, okay. it, it's a, at what level do you wanna be alerted when we're 10% sure, 50%? So it's just the pa- they sometimes call them paranoia levels or <laughs> security levels.
0: Well, listen, you know, we're talking a little bit about the future of cybersecurity here, and I've been reading a lot about blockchain getting involved in this process. Do you have any opinions or thoughts about how maybe blockchain technology will help us in the future uh, for cybersecurity?
1: So, So the idea behind blockchain is you can actually be able to authenticate, verify, validate, or do transactions without having a central entity that authorizes or validates it. Mm-hmm. And many of us are probably familiar with blockchain with bitcoins, yes. or cyber currency, that's sort of the underlying technology. And the, the nice thing about that is, now we as citizens can verify, validate, and control things. We don't have to do everything run by the government. Mm-hmm. So so people that like to have sort of independence and the government doesn't have to control it, everything, mm-hmm. I think blockchain is really good. The issue really comes down to who do you trust, mm. and, and who do you, who do you validate with? Because you could technically set up a criminal blockchain mm-hmm. where you have thirty criminals, and we bring Ian in and we yeah. convince you, "Hey, trust us." Yeah. Right, other thirty people. So I think it's still in its infancy, Yeah. and it's probably going to be another five to eight years mm-hmm. before that really gets verified, validated, and regulated. Uh, but but it is in its early stage. I would just warn any entrepreneurs or people starting up, just be very, very careful with investing in that technology, Bitcoin, cyber currency, things like that, because there's no backing to it. And you can make a ton of money overnight and you can lose (laughs) everything overnight very, very quickly. So it's just, to me, I don't, I did in the beginning when it was more calculated risk but then when it got really just crazy, I, I sort of pulled out and I don't do anything now with cyber yeah. currency or anything like that. To me, it's just the downside is not worth the upside.
0: Yeah. You know, I do too. I do think that it's going to be the future at some point because I think that not only the, the not having an intermediary uh, is is a valuable thing, but also the fact that from what I understand, you can have, let's let's just use a file. Um, A blockchain can take bits of that file, pieces of that file, all and spread it across the world, and then put it back together when you need it. Now, obviously, there's some potential risk there just putting it back together. But it is cool that if there was a hacker that was able to come in and steal one eighth of my document, that doesn't matter, right? I mean, that's that's kind of the thing that I'm excited about, but hopefully it'll
1: actually happen. Is that, yeah, <laughs> it's a diversified risk, exactly. Yeah. It's a great way
0: yeah. to diversify risk. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully in the next five uh, five to eight years, we'll be able to access that kind of stuff for our file security. While I have you here for a little bit more, um, are there any other tips you have for us, social media creators, people that use Instagram and Facebook and YouTube all the time? And and really, it's, it's the backbone for our businesses, so we really got to protect it. Do you have any tips for us?
1: Yeah, I would say the biggest thing is, be very careful of the two most dangerous applications on planet Earth. And those two dangerous applications are email and web browsers. Okay. I will tell you, as an individual that runs a business, as a content creator, if you're going to get targeted, if you're going to get compromised, if somebody's going to hijack your account, it's going to be one of two ways. Either they send you a legitimate looking email mm-hmm. that you've clicked on and infects your computer that has all your accounts, mm-hmm. or you're surfing to a website. And somebody tricks or manipulates you to click on an ad or to click on a deal that seems too good to be true. So what I recommend is what I do. And I actually advise some very high profile uh, wealthy people in the country I give them the same advice, which is uh, use multiple devices. So what I do is I have my computer that I do all my social media, my content creation and everything with. Mm -hmm. I don't check email. I don't surf the web. I don't Mm -hmm. do anything on this computer. So mm. the risk of this computer really getting compromised is very, very low. Oh. Then I have a second computer that doesn't have my accounts on it that I check email and surf the web. So that's, that's level one. Now, if you want to go to like level two Jedi tricks, yeah. I'll, I'll teach you that <laughs> That's analysis. what I want.
0: That's what I want, Dr.
1: Kull. Yeah, Almost <laughs> all of the malware that we mm. see out there yeah. is all focused on Windows because of the install base. Like we've seen the number of phishing attempts since co- since the epidemic broke out yeah. increased by 300% because people are fearful and will click on anything. So wow. my recommendation is go in and buy a non-Windows device. So I have an iPad and an iPhone, mm-hmm. and that's when I do all of my email mm-hmm. and all of my web browsing on. So now mm-hmm. if I do make a mistake and I click on a link or open an attachment, it's on a device where the malware can't activate minimize the impact that even if somebody wrote malware for an iPad, which it does exist, there's nothing sensitive on that device for them to steal or compromise. So wow. it's really about diversifying your risk, have one computer with all your accounts, and have a separate non-Windows computer that you check email and surf the web.
0: Wow. Wow. I, I, you know what? I've never ever thought of that but that makes total sense and especially these days it's not out of control a lot of people have like a a laptop and an ipad you know they can they can afford that so just transform those into devices for similar you know similar purposes like an email uh, ipad and a content creation uh, laptop and that way you uh, reduce the risk that any malware that gets on there doesn't contaminate the whole system that's really really smart i like that
1: because especially most of us have one content creation and think about that. If that one system got compromised, all your content, all your accounts, everything is owned. So you want to protect that as a super high risk asset.
0: Okay. All right. Well, Dr. Cole, it has been an unbelievable, good time uh, learning from you. I really, really appreciate you making time in the middle of the day to help us out. Um, And I'm really going to, I'm going to put these uh, chips into, into action right away. This is, this is awesome. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course, Dr. Cole. And hopefully we'll have you on soon. Maybe we could talk about being an online entrepreneur or something like that.
1: Let's do it. I love it. My favorite <laughs> topic.
0: <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, everyone out there, I hope you got some value of today's talk. By the way, as a reminder, iancorzine.com is the place where you get all answers to your social media law questions. And please remember to subscribe to the Social Media Law Podcast with Ian Corzine. If you could rate us on Apple Music slash iTunes, That would help us skyrocket up the charts. I really appreciate your time listening. All right, that's enough for today. I'm Ian Corzine, your social media lawyer, and I'll see you next week.